1: I'm your host, Perseus Poku. As you know I'm Sound Reasoning, we try to educate, train, and empower believers uh, to defend their faith. And throughout the years, the Lord has blessed us to uh, be acquainted and to have fellowship with uh, other servants of the Lord who have paved the path for us to be trained in apologetics. And today I'm so grateful uh, to be on air with... Uh, none other other than Mr. Hank Hanegraaff, uh, the Bible Answer Man. Uh, Hank, how are you?
2: I'm good, and and, and, Pertius, every time I hear your voice, I feel even better. I I, I so appreciate you as a person, as an apologist, and as someone that is being used to extend the kingdom of Jesus Christ, not by might, nor by power, but by His Spirit.
1: We praise God, uh, Hank, for you and for those comments. Uh, One of the things that uh, lay people frequently ask of us when we do our workshops is, what is apologetics? Can you elaborate on that for us?
2: Yeah, I mean, apologetics is simply a way of talking about the defense of the faith. We are called to always have an answer and be able to give that answer to everyone who asks us for the reason of the hope that resides within us and then do it with gentleness and with respect and i've often said that apologetics is not only to win an argument But it is primarily to win a person. So you use your well-reasoned answer as a springboard, as an opportunity to communicate the truth, the love, the grace that only Jesus Christ can bring to the human heart. And apologetics is not only the handmaiden to evangelism in that you use your well-reasoned answer to be able to communicate the gospel, but it's also, in a very real sense, what I like to call post-evangelism. In other words, for all of us, the winds and waves of doubt beat upon the door of our house, and, and, and then we wonder, is what I have given my life to substantial? Is it real? Well, mm. through apologetics, we can know that God created the universe— we're not functions of random chance, that Jesus Christ is God and demonstrated that he is God through the immutable fact of resurrection, and that the Bible is a reliable authority for faith and practice.
1: Great. And, and you touched on something that that is key in terms of post-evangelism. Uh, so in, in apologetics, uh, you highlighted uh, briefly the benefits of practicing Christian apologetics, but from your experience uh, and your knowledge, how can apologetics uh, benefit us on a local level?
2: Well, what it does, Percy, is as you well know, is it creates intellectual room for the acceptance of the gospel. Uh, So so we're able to give a well-reasoned answer to people who think the gospel might be one of many competing worldviews equal in value and substance, but when you are through apologetics communicating that it is the faith once for all delivered to the saints, it's the only viable worldview, then the intellectual room for the gospel paves the way for the change of a person's heart.
0: Hmm,
1: that is so true. And in terms of, of apologetics and Uh, the Bible, uh, our our rule, our plumb line. Um, How do we, as lay people, um, how can we handle the, 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 the scriptures that God has given us and, and read it for all that it's worth.
2: Yeah, and I think that's the principal question. I mean, I, I've often said it's not enough to be able to demonstrate that the Bible's divine as opposed to merely human in origin. If God has spoken, the attendant question becomes, what has God said? And that entails learning to read the Bible for all it's worth. Or the way I like to say it, Perseus is, Mine the Bible for all its wealth. Mm. And it's so critical because there are people, even our president, regardless of what political affiliation you have, our right. president has very clearly stated uh, that the Bible teaches slavery. Now, if the Bible really taught slavery, it'd be a deal breaker for me. Right. He also says that the Bible teaches that we are to stone our child if our child strays away from the faith. Uh, The Bible teaches that eating shellfish is an abomination, and so forth. Well, if all those things are true, then the Bible would not be a reliable authority. So mining the Bible for all its worth, or reading it for all its worth, gives us the ability to answer those objections and say, no, that's not really what the Bible teaches here. Instead, is what the text is intending to communicate. And of course, you can also demonstrate that there are passages in Scripture that are descriptive, not prescriptive, which is to say, communicating what's going on in society as opposed to saying that's how society should work.
1: Right. And, and I do appreciate that. Uh, often we run into fellow believers uh, who have a uh, difficult time disting- distinguishing between what's prescriptive, as you said, uh, uh, versus uh, descriptive. And in, in light of that, uh, you have spent time trying to help us as a church, God's church, to really uh, exe- to learn how to exegete versus eisegee. And so. You you composed uh, numerous books, but one of my favorites, of course, is uh, uh, the Bible Answer uh, books, uh, the volumes that you have. Can you explain to us what was the motivating factor behind uh, you penning the Bible Answer books or, com- or composing it?
2: Sure. Uh, well, Perseus, as you know, I've been doing the Bible Answer men broadcast since 1988, and here we are in 2014. Mm. And so I've answered questions for so many decades, and in doing that, I found these questions that come up over and over again, and I wanted to codify the answer in such a way that just the gem emerges. So take all the rhetoric away and boil it down to its irreducible minimum so that people can get very clear, concise, poignant, and profound answers to the questions that plague them, or questions if they knew the answer to, they could reach someone with.
1: I appreciate that, and we appreciate you. Uh, and for those of you listening, if you don't have the Bible Answer book, uh, Volume 1-2 or the, the uh, uh, compilation, you ought to put it in your library. Uh, the questions are short, but the answers are biblical and it's clear to the point. Uh, so we thank you for that. Now, in terms of... Um, the society we're living in now, we are faced with uh, naturalism and we're faced with scientism. And everywhere we looked, we're being bombarded by this overtly overtly naturalized view based on uh, evolution. How should we as Christians respond to uh, proponents of evolution who are trying not to tell us that we evolved and didn't, weren't, weren't created as, uh, as Genesis tells us.
2: Yeah, it makes all the difference in the world, Perseus. I mean, I've often said that the issue of origins is not a apologetic issue, it's the apologetic issue. How one views their origins ultimately determines how they live their life. Because if you believe that you're a function of random chance— that you arose from the primordial slime, you're going to live your life by a different standard Mm -hmm. than if you know that you are created in the image of God and therefore accountable to Him. So this is a fundamental issue. Uh, Philosophical naturalism, uh, as as you alluded to in the prologue to the question— It supposes that everything can be explained through purely natural processes. And as Christians, we say, no, you have to be open-minded. You have to believe that there are both natural as well as supernatural explanations for that which you encounter in the world in which you live. Uh, That's what it means to be open-minded. Some things can be explained naturally, but some Mm -hmm. require a supernatural explanation now the obvious uh, explanation for that is the universe itself The universe requires a supernatural explanation, and the philosophical naturalist or the evolutionist has to say nothing creates everything. Life comes from non-life, and the life that came from non-life produced morals. That simply does not fly in an age of scientific enlightenment. It makes much more sense to believe that every effect has to have a cause equal to or greater than itself. And, And we say, from a biblical worldview, that that cause is God, the uncaused first cause. And, and the unfirst, uncaused first cause has not left himself in obscurity. He's revealed right. himself through the person and work of Jesus Christ. Now, on the one hand, God has given us enough light so that we can find him if we will, and he dwells in enough obscurity so that if we don't want to find him, we won't.
1: I appreciate that. That, that, that. That's a phenomenal response. Now, I do have a, a, another question. Do you think, based on the statements that you just made, that uh, some professed believers actually have a deistic view of, of their existence?
2: Well, th- they do. And, and you know, I, th- I think one of the problems here is that many Christians don't think we live in an age of information overload and therefore they don't take their presuppositions and and draw them out to a logical conclusion and so all kinds of untoward ideas uh, have been set forth i mean a god who simply winds it all up and then leaves it uh, leaves it alone but when you think about that you find that it is contrary not only to evidence that we find in the natural world but it's also contrary to what we find in the world because god holds all things together by his power and is intimately acquainted and involved in that which happens in life not a hair can fall from our heads that god doesn't know about it
1: thank you so much we on there with uh brother hank handcraft of the christian research institute and hank has a follow-up question to that previous answer Uh, Can you share with our listeners the difference between general revelation versus special revelation?
2: Yeah, and I think it's an important distinction to make. Um, we, We find the gospel in special revelation, but we don't find the gospel in general revelation, so we don't find the gospel in the stars. What what David says in Psalm 19 is, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they proclaim knowledge. There's no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their words go out to the ends of the earth. That's general revelation. God having placed his imprimatur on the universe that he created. Let me pause here for a moment and say this, Perseus, that if it were not... For the notion of general revelation, we could not be doing science in our epoch of time. The great Christian theologians believed God's fingerprints were on the world, and therefore we could learn to think his thoughts after him. We could figure things out about the universe. Science could never, therefore, have arisen in a Greek cult. Culture. The Greeks were wise. They codified the laws of logic, but they believed that the universe was ministered by moody gods and therefore capricious, unfigureoutable. You know, you couldn't right. you couldn't make sense of it. But in a Christian worldview, you can think God's thoughts after him. And the God who is transcendent, who has revealed himself in general revelation, has also revealed himself in special revelation. Obviously, the coming of Jesus Christ, but the the, the Bible itself is God's special revelation where everything necessary for faith and practice is found.
1: And that makes... From my perspective, that makes this world so much pleasant, knowing that we have both sides of the story. Not only do we have the natural side dealing with nature, but we have the spiritual side uh, dealing with our God, and uh, at different times in life, they both uh, are needed. And so to try to delete God from the picture, to me, uh, leaves a person Inadequately prepared to deal with life the way that it is.
2: Yeah, brilliantly stated. I mean, I think this is the thing that so few people recognize: that reason without revelation always leads to the blind ditch of ignorance. If you're sitting mm. in a cave and it's black and dark, you can have twenty twenty eyesight, but you can't see anything. And therefore, Mm. reason always has to be augmented by revelation, and to dispense with that leads to poverty, ignorance, and ultimately all kinds of brutality that come out of worldviews that are repressive to human beings who are created in the imago Dei or the image of God.
1: And, And that reminds me so much of what the scripture says in the book of Judges that each person did what they thought was right in their own eyes. <laughs> and that's where we are Look as I look at society today. Uh, everybody's doing what they believe is right in their own eyes, but uh, God does have a plumb line, and, and he had barometers in terms of how far we should go. Now, my ask, next question, Hank, has to deal with um, who should study Uh, Informations in terms of other religions. I get this question a lot uh, in terms of, um, should you be a seasoned Christian or can you still be a new convert and engage in trying to study uh, other religions?
2: Well, I I think the first thing we have to do is become so familiar with the truth that when a counterfeit looms on the horizon, we know it instantaneously and recognize that Satan packages and repackages the lies ad nauseum ad infinitum, and you can spend an entire lifetime and never plumb all the variations of the deception. What you should, therefore, focus on is become familiar with what you believe. Why you believe and in whom you have believed, because as you well know, Perseus, virtually every single theological heresy begins with a misconception of the nature of God. I was in Iran uh, not long ago speaking at the University of Tehran and Alama about their sociology. Uh, university. And, 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 and while I was there, there were a lot of things about Islam that I hadn't previously fully grasped or understood. But because I have a grasp of my own faith, when I encounter those deviations that I wasn't even familiar with before, I was able to deal with them because I know the truth. And therefore, you can use the deviation as an opportunity for sharing the truth and, and life and love that only Jesus Christ can bring to the human heart.
1: I appreciate that. That's that's excellent. Uh, it reminds me of the example that I've heard in the past. I'm sure you have as well. Dealing with the um, the, the currency, uh, the authentic currency, and the people that uh, whose profession it is to recognize uh, forgeries of dollar dollar bills, and how they spend so much time studying the real thing uh, that uh, they never introduce the forgeries, but because they've studied so much with the real thing, when the uh, inauthentic pops up, be able to recognize it. Exactly. Excellent. Um, now, my next question is, what is the best Bible translation? That's what people also ask me frequently is, what is the best Bible translation? What is your response?
2: Well, my response is, is that we live in a... Um, in a time in which there is a bounty of good translations. So we have an abundance of wealth when it comes to Bible translations. You Amen. can look at the New King James Version of the Bible or the uh, New International Version or the New American Standard Version. There are so many wonderful translations. Uh, you know, Perseus, uh, because you've seen me do it when I quote the Bible, most often I'm quoting the NIV, and the reason is is that the NIV is more in line with the idea of a thought-for-thought translation, and therefore it doesn't sound like you're quoting, it sounds like you're just talking in the common right. vernacular of the day. Uh, but if I'm memorizing something like Proverbs, I want to use the NASB. The reason being is that Proverbs are pithy, and, and the NASB is more in line with what's known as a formal equivalency, which is more of a word for word translation. Well, uh, the NIV is not uh, singularly a thought for thought translation, and the NASB is not singularly a word for word translation. They're muddy mixtures of one another. But the, but the idea is is uh, they're useful for different purposes. And so I, I think we have uh, 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 a, a lot to be thankful for in our <laughs> epoch of time because there are such great manuscript. Attestation available that we can know that in our in our modern translations we have uh, the the essence of of God's word. We we never say that the that the translations are infallible, but what we do say is that the translations properly communicate the autographa, which is the infallible repository for redemptive revelation.
1: And I, and I do appreciate that explanation because uh, I know that in talking to various believers they have the same questions in terms of do we have what God uh, God wanted us to have and and that explanation really clears things up for us um, For our final question I wanted to um, ask you uh, how should we as, as Christians we that, thirst for knowledge, we that uh, desire to use our intellect uh, for godly purpose, how should we respond to those within the household of faith uh, who reject this use of philosophy or logic?
2: Yeah, well, I don't know if you're familiar, there's a painting, I think it's called The Triumph of the Eucharist, Peter Paul Rubens, and and there you see theology as the queen of the sciences, and alongside theology, you see philosophy and science newcomers in the cosmic conversation. But though they're newcomers in the cosmic conversation, we shouldn't dispense with them as though they have no value whatsoever of course they do what is philosophy denotatively it is the love of wisdom right. and we have to recognize that wisdom is the application of knowledge So, if you're truly wise you not only know things but you learn how to apply the things that you know so philosophy is a very important training tool Perseus, uh, I have twelve kids and and, and, and and my kids are all studying in one form or another philosophy because I think that the best thinker are those who 've been trained philosophically. Right. Now, 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 Paul does say, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends right. on human tradition and the basic principles of this world, rather than on Christ. So, vain philosophy, deceptive philosophy, no, but philosophy, the love of wisdom, of course. Uh, because, as I mentioned before, uh, philosophy has to do with this whole idea of being able to reason. But reason without revelation leads to the blind ditch of ignorance. Philosophy hmm. should be the handmaiden of theology.
1: Thank you so much. Um, that is very informative, and I know I've been edified, not just by that response, but all of the responses to our questions. And again, uh, we would like to thank Brother Hannah Graf for agreeing to do Uh, this uh, interview with us for sound reasoning. And Hank, thank you so much, and we will be in touch, and we, uh, as as the Lord's will, we definitely have to coordinate for both of us to get together again.
2: Well, Pertius, you're one of the choice servants in God's kingdom, and I uh, deeply love and appreciate you and pray that God will continue to use you, not by might nor by power, but by His Spirit.
1: Thank you so much.
0: That's srministries.org. Listen again next week at this same time. And remember, Titus 1, nine says, Hold firm to the trustworthy messages has been taught so that you can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. Sound Reasoning Ministries, srministries.org. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. God looks at your heart, not your gene size.